Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of Citizen Dame, the podcast devoted to a lot of stuff, movie news, movie reviews, pissing on the patriarchy, uh, all of it, quote-unquote, grist for our feminist agenda. As always, I am Kristen Lopez, here with the fantastic Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. Karen Peterson, I'm pretty sure, is living a version of cabin fever or something. I don't know. She said she would... It's going to be in the middle of nowhere all weekend. Um, I don't know what that meant. So I, I'm assuming she's somewhere in the woods. <laughs> she could be at home. I don't know. But that's where I think she is. She just doesn't she's, want to talk to us. I was going to say, she's just ducking us. Uh, exactly. Uh, last week I wasn't here. And so this week she's not here. And yeah. One, one day in the next in the near future we will get everybody back. To, we'll get the band back together. Um, but this week we have a bunch of uh, garbage men, some news, a crap ton of trailers, some questions, and some reviews. So let's not waste any time. Let's get the, the garbage out of the way, guys. Who do we want to start with? Well, I think the oldest one right now is Ryan Seacrest. Uh, we sort of mentioned him last in the last episode, but we didn't really talk much about him. Um, so uh, Ryan Seacrest, if you don't recall... Uh, was accused by his uh, stylist Susie Hardy that she uh, had been subjected for years to unwanted sexual aggression that went from suggestive comments to actually physically uh, touching her in inappropriate ways and places. Um, And she told Variety that she essentially endured the abuse because the job was uh, one that allowed her to support her daughter and that she did... Uh, report the behavior to HR in 2013, and that E essentially fired her afterwards. Brian Seacrest denies these allegations. E supposedly investigated it and found that there was nothing going on. Um, And this all came out right around the time that Ryan Seacrest was going to be on the red carpet for the Academy Awards. And there was talk about people boycotting him. And for the most part, a lot of the big stars did. There were a couple that, that popped by. But it just felt really more uncomfortable than he usually does. Like, E's Oscar pre-show is usually crap. But this felt abnormally just, like, grotesque. Like, at a certain point, you could see Kelly Ripa really hoping she could just walk by him. But then I'm pretty sure someone at ABC told her, like, no, you're contractually obligated to stop. So she had to. Um, And now there's talk about her leaving the Live with Kelly and Ryan series that she does with Ryan Seacrest because of feeling like she doesn't want to be associated with him anymore. Lauren, I think you were the one that said that you've always felt Ryan Seacrest was creepy. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I mentioned last week, uh, pretty much a saltine cracker could do his job. He's he's boring to begin with, and then there's just... I You know, I, I hate to do that kind of, well, I always knew that he was sort of off, because I feel like we do that a lot with actors, that it turns out that they've been abusers. Um... But there, there is, I just, like, I've always been like, I don't like you. I don't know why I don't like you, but I don't like you. There's something very <laughs> false about his friendliness and about his his sort of, uh, I yeah, his even his boringness feels false. I feel like he, I don't know, he reminds me of a serial killer in an X-Files episode. Uh, serial killer Ken doll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of movement on this, but we just wanted to bring he it up. He is bending over backwards to protect him, it seems like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so the next bit of garbage news, this one is one that really, really bothered me. This also came out sometime uh, earlier at the beginning of the month. But if you recall back in the early episodes of the podcast, we had talked about Terry Crews' allegations against Adam Bennett, who was a partner at one of the big agencies, WME. Um, he, Terry Crews had accused him of groping him at uh, an event, and he had been pressing formal charges against him. Well, it came out, according to Variety, the prosecutors have decided that they're not going to file any charges against him. Um, saying that the incident falls outside the statute of limitations. Um, supposedly, he told the LAPD on November 8th that he had been grabbed at a party in February of last year, and they had forwarded that complaint, and the DA's office said that the case was not a felony because, quote, the suspect did not make contact with the victim's skin, and there is no restraint involved. So, guys, as long as it's over the clothes, it's okay. <laughs> I am. I am just to the point of between all of these. It's just the. Uh, I. There are no words. Well, the DA's it's, office is still considering five different cases against Harvey Weinstein and five cases against James Toback. What What is taking so long? When they move on these, all pardon. You know, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll fucking believe it. I am yeah. so to the point of they keep. They keep changing. They keep changing where they are in the cases. You get an article every couple of weeks going, "Oh yeah, we're nearing an arrest," and then nothing ever happens. It's and especially with a case like Weinstein, I'll believe it when I fucking see it. Because especially, I was just looking at one the other day from the NYPD. The case is sitting on the desk of the DA, who he gave a substantial donation to. The yeah. Boys Club protects itself, and it is in complete protection mode right now. Well, and the, the Terry Cures thing is very disturbing because of, you know, and, the, and there's been discussion about, like, the, the differences between men coming out um, and and making accusations of, of sexual abuse versus women coming mm -hmm. out making accusations of sexual abuse and how that's responded to, both legally and just in the public sort of conversation and crews. You know, even at the very beginning, I remember when Cruz began, uh, he, he went through a tweet thread that that was how he talked about this initially. And I remember people responding to that being like, oh, he's, so, you know, he's he's this big guy. He can't pot, like nobody would try to, to, to harass Terry Cruz because he's this big, tough guy who was a football player and knows all of this. Why would you even do that? And so there was this whole... Uh, Kim, I think you, you said the other day via our Slack chat was there's this whole element of shame that is attached to men um, coming out and, and talking about these kinds mm -hmm. of harassment because also they're not being believed. So Cruz is not being believed by a lot of people because of who he is, because of the way he looks. Um, and what disturbs me is I've heard plenty of people go, why would he let that happen? Yeah, exactly. It's like, an, and I... Why would he... He's this big guy. Why would he let this guy do that? Why would he let him get away with that? Yeah, you got you have this very macho attitude of being like, well, if a guy did that to me, then I would pick him up and I would punch him if I was Terry Crews. It's just like, that's not how this works. That's not how, that's not how abuse works. Um, this is about power dynamics. This is about, mm -hmm. like, the, this guy obviously was in such a... Felt he was in such a position of power that he could grab... Cruz and not suffer any consequences of it. And look, he's not suffering any consequences. 
Exactly. It's it's just frustrating all around. Um, especially, I, I watched Terry Crews on, on Dr. Phil, of all places, the other day talking about this. And, you know, the man wasn't looking for compensation or, or anything. He said that, like, he was very concerned that his career was going to be over for these accusations. He had everything to lose, and yet he yeah. still pushed this issue. And now he doesn't even get, like, any type of justice in any way shape or form so yeah. it's really not putting i mean the whole me too movement is great but we're not seeing any follow-through on actually yeah. we're, we're getting a lot of people saying these people are the same way now it's just it's just a bigger more open form of what if anybody's uh, read the linda carter interview that she did i think it was for daily beast when she mentioned that she had been sexually assaulted when she was um working at in the 70s you know, it's just this whole concept that it's mo a more open format of the network of avoid this guy, avoid this guy. Mm -hmm. what, what women have been telling each other in the industry for years. And now the odd, like we all know, but we're not, that's all, that's all we know. We just know. Speaking of people that are not going to get in trouble, um, this happened uh, a couple, couple days ago. Um, the Duffer Brothers, who are the um, creators of Stranger Things on Netflix, uh, there was an Instagram post by a former crew member on Stranger Things that said that they had personally witnessed two men in high positions of power seek out and verbally abuse multiple women. Um, supposedly, Netflix investigated this. I keep saying supposedly because I don't believe that they actually did anything. They, they looked into this and said that they had found um, no evidence of wrongdoing. And the Duffer Brothers ended up releasing a statement that immediately starts things off on the wrong foot because it says quote we are deeply upset to learn that someone felt uncomfortable on our set we're, so I'm we're sorry that you were upset yeah. yes quote due, back to that shit again quote due to the high stress nature of production tempers occasionally get frayed however we think it is important not to mischaracterize our set we remain totally committed to providing a safe and collaborative working environment so what you're saying is someone got angry and might have screamed at somebody, but I don't I don't understand. Like, it, we didn't intentionally seek out a woman to scream at. That woman just probably did something and we screamed at her because we were frustrated. Is that what it's... Because that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that it, it really does sound like this kind of like, yes, this happened, but you shouldn't be offended by it. Um, because yeah. temper, because tempers rise and, and people get upset and you you, you do want to go like yeah exa exactly and this is again one of those disturbing elements because like there are children on this that they're they're yes. the major you know they're the major actors on this show and so we're talking about so tempers are getting afraid what does that mean exactly does that mean that you're verbally abusing actresses in front of these kids does that mean you're verbally abusing children uh, you know where where are we drawing the line here? And, and this this is where this is where these these accusations of abuse and become so much more complicated because we talked about things like Tarantino. So we have this this tendency to just tolerate to believe that this is what artists do. This is what happens on sets. This is what happens with directors. This is what happens with creators. And it's almost always men. It's almost always directing at it at someone who is in a, a relative position of less power than them. You know, I would be interested to know if they were screaming at Winona Ryder versus screaming at a script supervisor. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and how that all of that played out. This is just it it's it's getting so exhausting. Well, no, and I want to jump in and say, how long did Netflix protect Annie Masterson? Yeah, <laughs> they are known to protect. They protect. They in Stranger Things is their cash cow. Yeah, you know, of course they figure. Of course they came down and said nothing was wrong. Yeah, it's just the whole thing. Netflix is not helping, especially again in light of making mute like netflix is not situating itself as like this purveyor of i guess support for women i mean it's just it's not it's not helping they're they're on the forefront of changes to this industry big changes and how we watch things and how we develop you know how entertainment develops and they're falling in just exactly the same thing with everybody else well, moving on to our last garbage person, the garbage person that I think is actually the most relevant right now. Men, if you have an opinion, you should really think before you say it. Not everybody <laughs> needs to hear it. Um, so this is courtesy of Variety. Terry Gilliam is speaking out against Me Too. He says that, quote, mob rule takes over, the mob is out there, they're carrying their torches, and they're going to burn down Frankenstein's castle. That's an analogy. (laughs) Um, He says that, quote, Harvey Weinstein opened the door for a few people, a night with Harvey, that's the price you pay. Uh, Terry. Terry... He says that the uh, people who, I guess, are accusing Harvey Weinstein, quote, knew what they were doing. These are adults. We are talking about adults with a lot of ambition. He also claims that some of the women didn't actually suffer, but they ended up using Harvey Weinstein to further their careers and benefited from it. Um, He also says that Matt Damon has been unwrongfully, uh, wrongfully maligned. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that the Me Too movement is simplistic and silly. And, oh, and this is also the guy who said that Amber Heard totally made up those accusations against Johnny Depp. Really, what it goes down to is that if you are a person who thinks Me Too is bullshit, you probably defended Johnny Depp back in the day. Because <laughs> that's what I'm really seeing. I'm really seeing the, those things. So, <sighs> Terry, 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 Terry. <laughs> It really. Uh, I, Michael Palin, if you're listening, because I, I know you are, just <laughs> please let me keep my, you know, my my ideals about you, please. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> Michael, if any, if Michael Palin says anything terrible, then I'm just like, that's it. We're done. We're done. We're canceled. <laughs> Everything is canceled. Men, just go sit in the corner. No talking you're ever again. Uh, the the Gilliam thing. I mean. I guess, you know, at least he doubled down on it. At least he said, like, all of the wrong shit. It wasn't just, like, some (laughs) wrong shit. It was all of it. He said all the shit. And, and I, I mean, it it is one of those, and I saw, saw a lot of this when this was being talked about on Twitter initially yesterday. Uh, everyone was like, okay, what did Terry Gilliam do? Because that's the immediate reaction to some of this. Like, so, so he, he's defend, he's vociferously defending. Harvey Weinstein and saying like, oh, Me Too is, you know, it's, he's not using the same language, but it's mob rule, it's a witch hunt, it's this, it's that. It's like, okay, what did you do on set, Terry? What did, who, who have you harassed? Because that's what it, it feels like, is that who these guys Who have you are like, hurt? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and I mean, there has been discussion that he's he's a very, you know, he's, quote, volatile director, which essentially means that he can be very abusive on set. And that has been discussed prior to all of this. Uh, but, yeah, you, you just you read all of this stuff, and, and he is kind of expressing some of the... He's expressing very explicitly what a lot of um, men, both... Online, both just random dudes online and, and actual men in power have said about the Me Too movement, have said about Harvey Weinstein and all this. Just This is just the way it is. This is just how it has been. This is how it shall always be. What are you complaining about? Well, and I think what we're seeing now is, coupled that with the lack of charges against anybody, it's hard not to feel like there's just more awareness, but we're not doing anything. Yeah. The old guard that has always believed that this is just the way women have to deal with this business still are out there. And there's no condemnation. And Gilliam, you'd think he would not want to rock the boat, considering how hard it is for him to get his movies fucking financed. <laughs> like, dude. Yeah, um, so, I mean, really, he's got that Don Quixote movie coming out this year. The movie that he's been trying to make for, like, how many goddamn years? And he wants to say this? Well, this is definitely gonna get people to go see it. Not. I mean, it's bad enough. Gilliam movies don't make money to begin with. And yeah. you, you'd think that he would just keep his goddamn mouth shut. That's what's so, I, I guess, I, I mean, it, it's, it's typical, but it's also disturbing, is, is that no... No one has to say these things. Like, until Terry Gilliam is actually accused of abuse, which he might be, who the hell knows, but he does not have to weigh in on this topic at all. Like, and he can be very generic. If someone asks him about it, he can be very generic in his response. It's just like, yeah, it's a complicated issue and move on. He doesn't have to say these things. And he's saying them anyways. So obviously a lot of these guys who are saying it, who are saying this stuff, think that, this that they really are being threatened that there really is like this is ridiculous this is insane we you know how can this possibly be happening all of that shit um just just shut up just don't give your opinion exactly just like just you stop, don't please. always need to have your opinion heard yeah, yeah exactly it, you don't have to do it you can just keep your mouth shut please please keep your mouth shut logs long story short you have the right to your opinion but everybody else has the right to disagree <laughs> yeah exactly so we're gonna actually uh take a question real quick this is from keith derrick at kh derrick he says will we ever see a day when franchises will come to an end not disappear but have a definitive endpoint where studios are not desperately trying to squeeze the cash cows utter for all it's worth i I don't know how to respond to that. Um, I mean, I definitely think we'll see a day when franchises won't be popular. Um, but if, if we're asking if it's like the Western, where, you know, the genre it just isn't profitable nine times out of ten, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, and I, I think we, it's completely contingent on the audience. Mm -hmm. They will stop making Star Wars movies when Star Wars movies cease to being, being profitable. They will stop Transformers movies when people stop seeing them. Quality has nothing to do with it. It's, we're talking big budget, we're talking big studios, big budget temples. As long as they're making money, as long as they're making billions of dollars, they will keep making them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, it, what I mean, 
franchises have been around for a very long time. You know, we we talk about big budget franchises right now. So I, I assume he's thinking of things like the the Marvel Universe and DC mm-hmm. and Star Wars and you know the fact that every film has a sequel. But even if you look back to the the classical Hollywood era, there the Thin Man had nine movies. That that was that is technically a franchise. Uh, and so Abbott and Costello had how many movies that were exactly the same? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Andy Hardy films, you know, come on. Oh God, yeah. It's uh, it's it's just it's in some ways it's just another version of the serial. So yeah, I mean, I would love to see fewer Marvel films because I'm just so fucking exhausted with Marvel. Uh, I would love to see fewer DC films, unless they're going to do something interesting. So, like, you know, we're going to talk about Ava DuVernay. So, there, you know, we can we can move franchises in an interesting direction. It, it's it's exhausting, but that's what Hollywood does. Hollywood produces things that they think will make a buck. That's it. Well, it's for Michael Bay. People yeah. people always talk about going to Transformers movies to hate watch the Transformers movies. I can't think of a single person I know who legitimately likes them, but they go see them to hate watch them. You're still giving them your money to go hate it. So you're yeah. fueling there being more of these by going to hate watch it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think franchises, there's always going to be an appeal for them. You know, it's it's minting money. Um, so I always say that Hollywood listens with your pocketbook, mm-hmm. so, you know, you don't want the trend to continue, you can't really support it. Unless Marvel stops, you know, dries up tomorrow, we're gonna keep getting Marvel movies, so. Mm-hmm. We've, well, we've got Marvel movies sketched out through at least 2020 right now. Exactly. <laughs> so, moving on, um, do you think I, or Rotten Tomatoes is the bane of your existence when it comes to finding a film review or you believe that it's uh being controlled by people who are obviously paid by the dc or mcu uh universe well then you don't have to visit it soon um because it came out the other day that miranda bailey and rebecca odes have founded the site cherry picks um so it the it's a review aggregator that wants to be the all-female alternative to rotten tomatoes and it's going to post reviews exclusively by women. That includes um, non-binary um, and trans as well. So I'm all for this because too often I get told by male, you know, film lovers or male critics, um, I don't know any female critics. You know, I don't know who to read if I want to learn more about what women think. And I'm always usually selective about like, oh, you know, you should read this woman and this woman. And now I don't have to. Now I can just say, go to this goddamn website. You can read all the female writing, uh, all the the female critics that you want. So I, I find this to be positive. It's supposed to launch in the fall and I'm ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it'll, they're it'll, moving. It'll they're be nice moving quick. Yeah, it'll be very nice to see. They're moving quick. I, they're on Twitter already and they're following people. I love it. Um, I do know Karen brought up that she did not like the name. Do we like the name? Uh, I I could I see the problem with the name. I I was yeah, I, do too. I was like we're so cher- cherry picks. I understand because they're trying to do a, a Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but I was like, so cherry picks does that mean that we're we're are we cherry picking reviews? Because that's that's one of the things that female critics have often been accused of is cherry picking in their reviews. 
Uh, and, and then I was like, and then it also has some kind of weird connotations in terms of sex. That's what I was thinking. That's immediately what I was like, wait, what? It's um, the first place my head went. Honestly, yeah. the first time I saw the name, I thought it had something to do with porn. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh no, wait, never mind. Sorry. This, this isn't, no. Uh, yeah. So, but it's, I, I understand that they're, they're trying to, to do kind of a feminine version of Rotten Tomatoes. So there, there's only, there's only so many fruit and vegetables you can use. Well, I mean, they could have gone with a banana. No? <laughs> but don't bump. Moving on to That less, has connotations, uh, too. <laughs> moving on to less, uh, yeah, penis jokes. Um, <laughs> if you remember Frances McDormand's Oscar speech, her amazing Oscar speech, she mentioned two words, inclusion writer. And Hollywood is trying to do something and take that to heart. Most of them, I think, just finally learned what that meant. Um, but it's been announced that Michael B. Jordan, Brie Larson, Paul Feig, and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are all going to adopt inclusion writers on their uh, films from now on. If you don't know what an inclusion writer is, it's essentially a stipulation that says that to secure the star or whoever you know any of these people um you have to have a certain amount of the set um that is either women or people of color or lgbtq or people with disabilities you have to open the door to more diverse um presences so uh, michael b jordan was the first one to do this further proving that he is the love of my life because <laughs> he's just awesome uh, um, Paul Feig's been doing this for, for years um, in terms of the movies that he's made and the amount of women that he's employed on his sets. Brie Larson was also not surprising to see. The one that shocked me, mostly because I was like, you guys look like you're posing, is Ben and Matt. <laughs> like, dude, you guys need so... You will take any goodwill. You are the guys that are like, oh yeah, I was a fan of this before. It was cool. Like, But you showed up three weeks after. They're still trying to, they're, they're, they're the woke guys. Don't we know that? They're so woke. Exactly. <laughs> Hold on, guys. I need to put my dog in her bed before she gets eaten. Get, go. In. Away from me. Thank you. <laughs> Karen, please keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, this is why I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to laugh when I saw them. I, I had to laugh because, I mean... It might be, the, you know, good intentions, but do, do we really feel it's good intentions? No. It's Ben and Matt. They're trying to make <laughs> themselves look good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it actually, if it means that, that they're actually going to hire people of color and women and, and have a, a more diversity and inclusion on their sets, great. You know, that's, regardless of why they're doing it, I think that that's fine. I don't, I don't think that they should get any points for it. Yeah, they shouldn't uh, get a pat on the head and a chuck under the chin. You know, yeah. they are they are the guys that want a cookie for being yeah. like, look it, we're so inclusive now. We yeah. we, we understand. I mean, people like Paul Feig and Michael B. Jordan and, and Brie Larson, I feel, are more... Um, I mean, like you said, Paul, Paul Feig's been doing this for a long time already. So there, I think that there's a more a sense of goodwill, that they're, they actually... Good faith. They actually are mm -hmm. being like, this. yes, this is something that we should do. This is something we have been doing. Um, we, we need to progress forward. You know, Ben and Matt are probably going to be accused of being mean to white dudes, but I really don't care about white dudes' feelings right now. <laughs> uh, they, they're, they're doing it because it makes them look good. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's a face-saving move. I mean, and they have to know that it looks like that. Well, Matt Damon took some real heat during the peak yeah. of this, so he's going to be in ultimate protection mode right now. Well, according to Terry Gilliam, he's been unfairly persecuted. <laughs> there was nothing unfair about it. He took heat that he walked himself right into. Didn't even didn't even he say he had a big mouth? <laughs> Mini Driver's <laughs> words will always be like yeah. the ones that make the most sense. Okay, where she's just like, just sit down and shut up. Just can, can these can these men just learn to s- shut up and look pretty? Like, that's all I want. Um, <laughs> oh, and so, so, some of them are getting past the age where they can do that. Exactly, where they're not as pretty, <laughs> and they possibly can't sit down. I don't know. Um, Matt Damon's been in, on the A-list for a long time now. I was just thinking about Talented Mr. Ripley. <gasps> Good times. That was 99. <laughs> Jude Law had a lot of hair back then. Like, remember? <laughs> oh, those were the days. Anywho, um, so... When we objectify men. <laughs> Um, so if you were at South by Southwest this week, or if you just happen to hear about it online, then you will know that they screened Re- Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, otherwise known as Men Can Jack Off to the 80s. Um, and apparently it was gangbusters, even though the movie stopped like halfway through, um, I think they, what was it, they lost sound or something, or it's- it, Twice. Yeah. Um, I think that was the film trying to commit suicide, but, um, <laughs> people thought, mostly men saw that it was amazing, thought it was amazing. Um, there were a couple women who thought it was, um, good. Most of the women I know that saw it thought it was just mediocre. Uh, I don't, I, I don't like the concept of this movie to begin with. Mm. Um, I think it's very telling that many of the people that have told me that it's going to be great who have not seen it, mind you, are white men. Um, and I, I'm talking about somebody specific to my town, not somebody that y'all think I'm talking about. Um, but I, that, that person counts. Um, I have not read the book, and I think Spielberg is a, a good director. I am not of the camp that everything he touches is gold. Okay, I don't know anybody that loves 1941, okay? I was just going to say 1941, y'all. Yeah, exactly. Your boy can make a shit show, okay? It happens. Um, So I'm not excited to go see this. I feel this is going to be a movie pass movie because I don't want to review it because I know that if I'm not just effusively praiseworthy over it, I'm going to take a lot of flack for it. But I don't know. Supposedly it's great. Supposedly it is the best thing since Pac-Man. I don't know. Um, what did you guys think about the reactions that people were giving? I mean, I was looking on Twitter that night because I, I must have logged into Twitter about three minutes after the sound went off the first time. So I kind of started watching, you know, listening to reactions about there. And it took a long time for to start seeing any reactions from any women there. Um, you, I mean, and you could barely see it through all the men falling over themselves to compliment it. Um, And I think the night of, I saw maybe four women even commenting about being in the theater. One was just talking about the sound going off and giving Spielberg quotes. One was a meh, and then the other one, I think, posted a gif of a shrug or something like that. So I thought that was decidedly curious. (laughs) That the reactions are so split down the line, but look at what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. So I guess I'm not entirely surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I had a I had a 
I had a nervous breakdown actually the morning after because one of one of the problems that I had with just the reaction and I, I have not seen the film I read half the book and I hated it so much that I closed it and burned it I did not actually burn it but um, so I so I haven't seen the film so I'm just going off of the reactions of people one of the things that has always bothered that's bothered me about a lot of the the defense of it prior to anyone having seen it is this like Spielberg can do no wrong attitude. And I do think that that comes from, from people that have a very limited cinematic education or are completely ignoring the fact that Spielberg has made some brilliant films. He's a great director. He's made some bad films. And he's made some pretty middle-of-the-road mediocre ones. So to say that like Spielberg, everything that Spielberg touches is the greatest movie ever made is, is just wrong so you know you shouldn't go into a film being like well this is a spielberg film ergo it is the best film ever um south by southwest and red player one did were really smart about marketing this film they started out they showed it to a festival crowd a fest a nerd festival crowd like south by southwest mm -hmm. is very much this is not an art film festival this is like this is where you premiere shit like this um they had spielberg there to talk about it. So all of the yep. fanboys were losing their shit over just the fact, my best friend Steve is in the room, right? <laughs> so, and that, that was kind of the attitude. So it was, it was set up very cannily and very intelligently. It was a great marketing ploy um, for, they, for the fanboy reaction to be as good as it possibly could be, right? Regardless of the quality of the film, no, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. Um, they, they were pushing it so that, that the fanboy reaction was going to be very strong and that the, the first voices coming out of, uh, about this film were going to be people that were already predisposed to not only like it, but love it. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing. So I will be more interested when more people have seen the film and we have a wider range of reviews and reactions when we have a wider range of women reviewing it, a wider range of people of color reviewing it. I'm particularly concerned about the women because of the nature of the novel. The book the book is treats women as objects, secondary characters, and rewards. That's what they are. So I want to know if the film does that. And and there have been some reviews by women that have basically said, yeah, that's that's it's not as bad as the book, but that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I... I, I... I mean, I like the references that it's, you know, referring to, but I just don't see any benefit to this movie other than... And, and you know what? We'll talk about that when we talk about Wrinkle in Time. Maybe it's just not made for me. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that when I say that to people that you should then tell me that I'm an asshole because I don't love it. So, moving right along, uh, let's talk some box office. Um, Lauren, I think you wanted to talk about uh, the box office for Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, uh, this this has kind of become my um, cause the web. Yeah, this is the thing that I'm mad about this week. Uh, so, so a wrinkle in time came out. When did a wrinkle in time came out? Two weekends ago. Uh, the ninth. This this will be weekend number two, this, won't it? This is the second weekend. All right. So yeah, wrinkle in time came out. It did very well. I believe it made back uh, about a third of its budget. It did not beat Black Panther at the box office, which has been one of the things that a number of box office pundits um, have made a lot of hay out of. And one of the things that has been very interesting about the way that, that these two films are being covered 
Um, even before A Wrinkle in Time came out, there were a lot of articles that were being published in places like The Hollywood Reporter and Variety and Forbes talking, Forbes. yeah, Forbes, <laughs> talking about, <laughs> talking about, you know, can A Wrinkle in Time unseat Black Panther? And I remember this being very, I've, I found it very strange and a number of, of commentators online found it very strange that this was how these films were being framed because A Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther are two very different movies. They're appealing to different audiences. They're, now they're both directed by people of color. They are both featuring multi-ethnic and multi-racial casts and particularly focused on people of color. So the fact that these two films were being kind of set up as opposing forces in some way felt distressing. It felt weird that this was how this, this whole narrative was being framed. Wrinkle in Time comes out, it does not unseat Black Panther. It does not knock the king off the throne, all of the, the things that these guys have been saying. Um, but the way that the narrative has been framed has been A Wrinkle of Time is a failure. Uh, a Wrinkle of Time didn't do what it should have done. A Wrinkle of Time only has a so-so showing, even though it's, it's actually making a good bit of money and is doing fairly well. Uh, particularly for a movie that is, that is directed at children, and that, that is the main mm -hmm. audience for this film. Black Panther is much more a general audience. What Wrinkle right. in Time is, is, this is for kids. Uh, to begin with. So the the issue of this framing narrative that these two films are in opposition to each other and that A Wrinkle in Time is somehow a failure because it didn't succeed, it, it did not unseat Black Panther is, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of racism and sexism at play here and that it's important that these pundits are framing the narrative like this because they're not doing it with other films. They're not doing it, I, we mentioned um, uh, we mentioned earlier today, Tomb Raider. Uh, it's not being framed as like Tomb, Ra Tomb Raider has done well, when it actually, it, it hasn't particularly. It has mm -hmm. failed to unseat Black Panther. Black Panther is still number one at the box office. It, Tomb Raider is probably not going to beat Black Panther at the box office. That's but because fanboys being... and pundits are too busy talking about whether Alicia Vikander's tits are as good as Angelina Jolie's. Yeah, exactly. That has an uphill battle too. Exactly, and I mean, we, I mean, we could talk about Tomb Raider, but the the way that the narratives are being constructed is, I think, very disturbing, and it does indicate that these films are being set in opposition to each other. We can't have two films led by, directed by people of color being good at the same time. Right, or it's doing the Highlander. Well at the same time. It's the yeah. Highlander mentality. You know, there can mm -hmm. be only one. Um, that whole idea that these are movies about uh, directed by people of color, and one of them obviously has to be better than the other. And I guess we'll just defer to the man, um, <laughs> mind you. I, I think what most pundits are missing is that this is the first time in history that the number one and two spot were fill were held by movies directed by people of color. That's never happened. Yeah. And that is completely being overshadowed at this moment um, in favor I, of this stupid rivalry. Yeah, and I, I've seen a few articles that actually actually took that into consideration, probably listened to the, the online responses, and went like, oh, these are two films that are directed by people of color, and they're both top at the box office. That's amazing, right? That's, that's like, mm -hmm. this, is, this is, like you say, this is the first time in history. That is the framing narrative. That is the narrative that we should be following. We should not... And I, it, 
I'm sorry. It's a, it is indicative of the domination of straight white dudes. It is indicative mm-hmm. of the domination of these fairly, con, you know, fairly in, in terms of their attitudes, fairly conservative people being like, well, but we're just treating them like anything else. No, no, you're not. You're quite obviously not. Because, and I can see it in the headlines that you write. It's not like a secret about what you're doing. You're constructing your narrative so that these films remain in opposition to one another. And particularly A Wrinkle in Time, you are construing as a failure. So yeah. I'm pissed. <laughs> and dare we, dare we take in the argument that we're hearing that this is the way it's always been. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, well, and you also have to take into account that, like, both of these are Disney. I'm not seeing the, the pushback that, like, Disney is competing against itself. Well, and there, I'm completely with Lauren on that. It's like, why are we even pitting these two movies together? One's a fantasy film directed at young children. One is a big budget franchise film, yeah. Origin story. It's, no, Wrinkle in Time is not going to keep up with Black Panther box office-wise. It do this, you know, it, Star Wars would dominate it, too. It's the big-budget superhero franchise appeals to your fanboys, to everybody, while A Wrinkle in Time is directed at children and families. Well, and Black, and Black Panther has been unprecedented. I mean, the... They're, they're predicting, what, five weekends now? I think I'm, re- I'm reading. Yeah, this, this, is, this is a huge film. It's a huge film, as uh, we discussed this a couple weeks ago. It's a huge film by Marvel standards. Yeah, it is. It's, this is a massive movie. So to say that A Wrinkle of Time failed to, like... Oh, no, it failed to top one of the biggest films of all time. It has passed. I was looking at Box Office Mojo last night. They are Black Panther is about forty million away from unseating Avengers, so it has left every single because the origins, the origin stories, and the solo films typically don't keep up with the team up movies. It has passed every single one and will likely unseat the Avengers as the top grossing film from Marvel. Yeah, so it's. This, this is a very damaging narrative, and it needs to die, I think. Well, moving on to some some positive changes that we're seeing. Um, we mentioned, uh, I think, two episodes ago about the issues with uh, stunt men and women and the concept of wigging, where stunt men would wear wigs and women's clothes to devil for actresses. Well, I guess SAG-AFTRA's um, stunt coordination um, union is hoping to change some things and they have established a new set of standards and practices for both film and TV stunt coordinators. Um, this is also because there were two stunt related deaths last year. Um, so they, they had to do something. So the uh, supposedly the contract had required that coordinators quote unquote endeavor to find qualified women and minorities to double for women and minorities because you could also get people men in white face or black face excuse me um so the new practices supposedly stop short of outright banning the concept of wigging or painting down um white stunt performers um but they i guess are dealing establishing ways for dealing with stunt coordinators who don't follow the rules and i don't know if this is necessarily a good thing or a bad thing I mean, do we feel this has helped at all? Seems to be driving it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why you can't just ban wigging. I, I, I really doubt that there is like a lack of female and people of color to do stunt work. I don't, I don't understand why this is. I don't understand why you can't just fix it. 
Right. And uh, apparently now they say coordinators who violate the new rules um, won't, will, won't be subject to certain SAG uh, constitutions and bylaws. Um, I think a lot of this has to do with Tarantino, too. And mm. the, the concept of how he coerced Uma Thurman to do the stunt in Kill Bill that was dangerous. Um, because now we're seeing that stunt coordinators now are supposed to report all violations of any agreements um, that are committed against uh, performers, um, that stunt coordinators now have to take appropriate action necessary to ensure the safety of their performers. I think it's really putting the impetus on them to be like, if a director's saying that you should do this, you have to report it or yeah. else you're going to get in trouble. That seems very positive. Yeah, um, we don't know, but that's that's what I'm going for. Uh, moving on to some casting and some development stuff. Um, Alex Garland, after the, the whole issue with Annihilation, um, not doing as well as he hoped. Um, well, I'm sure this has nothing to do with it, but it might. Uh, he is going to switch to television. He has gotten a pilot order from FX to de develop a series called Devs. It's um, supposedly a San Francisco set series um, only being designed for one season, but supposedly that means that they could do follow-up, like, spin-off episodes. Um, this is supposed to be a really quick and, uh, I guess, you know, crazy production shoot that's going to film um, that is about a female software developer um, who gets involved in some sort of government conspiracy. It sounds like something Alex Garland would do. I mean, can I jump in and say FX is making some good development picks between that and I believe they are the ones who are picking up the What We Do in Shadows. I, I think yeah. so, yeah. Pilot, that is some stellar development work that they're doing. Yeah, I, I'm very intrigued by what FX is doing to try to like present themselves as a prestige, you know, ch TV channel. So, mm -hmm. more power to them. I'll watch. Speaking of uh, developments, uh, Kristen Stewart is supposed to be playing actress Jean Seberg, who you might remember if you've listened to the, uh, you must remember this series about uh, Jane Fonda and Jean Seberg. Um, she is going to play Jean Seberg in a political thriller called Against All Enemies um, that's supposed to have Jack O'Connell, Anthony Mackie, Margaret Qualley. It's being directed by Benedict Andrews, centering on uh, the FBI's attempts to discredit Jean Seberg um, in retaliation for her support of the Black Panthers. I mean, Kristen Stewart kind of looks like Jean Seberg. That's cool. <laughs> it's it's along the lines of the roles she's picking, and she's making some interesting picks right now. Um, I'm all in favor of her trying to step away from Bella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she, they all need to get away from that series. She's actually proving to be a, a much more interesting actress, I think, than anyone could have predicted. Exactly, and I think, I mean, I could not stand her, especially in the early, when all that stuff was coming out. Her, she has been endeavoring to step away, and she's doing, so I can only, you know, congratulate and be impressed with the work she's choosing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm interested to see how this comes together. Okay, so the last bit of news, uh, we're going to do good, bad, good. Um <laughs> So Emma Asante, who you might know if you've seen Belle or United Kingdom, is going to direct an adaptation of The Billion Dollar Spy. It's being directed by Ben, or written by Ben August. Um, it centers on the chief designer at the USSR's Research Institute of Radio Engineering, who gave uh, 
thousands of pages of highly classified documents to the U.S. and effectively ended the Cold War. I love Ama Asante. Um, I, I think Belle is fantastic, and uh, United Kingdom was also really, really good. And, you know, we get a, a female director of color telling a spy movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, really intrigued. I think this this sounds really interesting. I'm excited about it. I'm just I'm looking at the IMDb. Uh, I am not familiar with the project, but I am, I'm very intrigued as well. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be good. Um, in Ama Asante, I trust at least. Um, speaking of, okay, so this is the bad. Um, this is courtesy of Film School Rejects. Madonna wants to make another movie. So it worked out so well before. She is going to uh, do the film Taking Flight. It's a film based on the memoir of dancer Michaela de Prince. Um, It's going to depict de Prince's life living in a Sierra Leone orphanage before fleeing to a refugee camp where she was then adopted by a Jewish couple in New Jersey and eventually began training as a ballerina. So there's been a lot of pushback to this. Um, even though it is being directed and written by a woman, it's being um, the screenwriter is Camilla Blackett, who uh, works on Fresh Off the Boat. But a lot of people have been saying that it's inappropriate for Madonna to direct a movie about a dancer of color um, because she's Madonna. I, I understand that pushback. I would also be concerned because Madonna's directed nothing good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there it is, right there. Uh, okay, so... Let's get a little history, if you don't remember Madonna's directorial career. She's directed, what, two films? Two films. One is so bad I didn't even bother to see it, and the other is W.E., which, <laughs> despite her chronic sexual harassment with her camera of Oscar Isaac, I mean, the thirst is, like, palpable on that, that camera. It is insane. It's a really shitty film, and I do own it, so I, I did my part, okay? I gave my money. But it's awful. And third time's a charm. I mean, I'm all for giving women directors multiple chances. But I I feel like Madonna is one of those that we she gets multiple chances because she's Madonna. If Ama Asante had two bombs like that, she would not be working. Jesus, Mimi Letter took one shitty film and she didn't work in film for decades. No, yeah, the only reason the only reason that is happening is because she's Madonna. Yeah. Any other female filmmaker would be com- look let's look at Lexi Alexander yeah. after the Punisher movies. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm it's if you're not Madonna, it's one and done. I know that this would be an appropriate time to play one of Madonna's songs, but I just yeah, no, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, W.E. will not ever be a good movie. Um, Future What I Did for Love article right there, apparently. Um, So moving on to the last bit of news, um, Ava DuVernay, our queen, is going to work with DC. Um, Yes. She is set to join the DC universe and direct New Gods. I don't know who the New Gods are or the old ones, um, but she's going to be in this movie. Um... I am very excited. She did confirm it as well. Um, this is a, a huge coup for her. I, I'm all for it. I am all for it. I don't know anything about this movie. I don't like DC, but I do love me some Ava. I love that. I love that DC, for all of its major failings, is is ma- managing to beat Marvel at the whole like, hey, we're gonna get in interesting female directors. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we so and and also um, if you if you follow their twitters at all, Ava DuVernay and um, Patty Jenkins have just been exchanging like basically love tweets uh, about each other. That, I love that their I just, friendship. Me so happy, <laughs> just absolutely adored. I'm like, okay, you just like just fire everybody else. Let the two of them just direct all of the DC movies. I would want. I would love for them to like compose their tweets into a book that they read. <laughs> I would be so for, for- this. For all the crap that I give DC, and I mean, I hated Suicide Squad, Justice League after Wonder Woman was such a letdown. They are making by far the most interesting choices, and they refuse to let my hope die. It's, I was very close to letting my hope die after Justice League, and they refuse to let that quite go down in flames. So it's i hope it'll continue and i mean but with patty jenkins and ava both in the dc you know the dc stable for lack of a better word come on marvel the disney team you guys gotta you know having a woman team directing captain marvel is not good enough guys (laughs) well let's talk some trailers because a lot of trailers came out this week we're gonna start with the one that looks the shittiest it's fantastic beast crimes of grindelwald it's really okay i say shitty because we all know who's in it i know the trailer tries to hide him as much as we can but we all know he's there i will not be seduced by good coats okay (laughs) so that movie has so many oh i mean the trailer just looked like you know it looked like fantastic beasts we get that that you know not gay supposedly not gay um albus dumbledore played by jude law who again I made fun of his hair already. You should compare the hair in this to, you know, town to Mr. Ripley. See how far we've gone. Poor guy. He's losing it so fast. I know. Um, The trailer looks okay, but honestly, I know Johnny Depp is there. So really, I, it should have been Colin. It should have been Colin. Mm -hmm. We have nothing else to say about this trailer. That's how boring it it is. (laughs) I liked Fantastic Beasts. I'll be there. Um... But yeah, if, to me it felt like Johnny Depp was just the specter off camera. I was kind of sitting there laughing going, oh, I bet you guys are regretting casting him now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, if he wasn't there, I'd be a lot more excited about it than it is. But yeah, he's ultimately there. But I, I know this is an unpopular view, but I, Eddie Redmayne's there. I will be there. I yeah. can't complain <laughs> considering what trailer we have on this docket that I'm going to say that exact same thing to. So... <laughs> So that comes out, uh, no, Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald comes out November 16th. Hopefully we can purge the Johnny Depp, um, stuff from, from there. But, uh, moving on to another trailer that looks like it has potential. Um, the first trailer for Melissa McCarthy's, I think, Return to Serious Drama-ish, um, came out this week. Uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? She plays a celebrity biographer named Lee Israel, who can't get published anymore, so she starts forging letters written by famous authors. I didn't know this story at all, but I watched the trailer and I thought this was really, really fascinating with story. It's also directed by Marielle Heller, who did um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, and it's written by Nicole Hollensefner, um, who did... Oh god, she did a bunch of other Lovely and Amazing is one of them. She did a couple other movies. Um, so I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by this. Especially getting Melissa McCarthy uh, a chance to show that she wasn't, you know, just a one-trick pony for that Oscar nomination. 
Yeah, this one looks really interesting to me. Uh, I, yeah. I love stories like this, so I'm I'm kind of already there. I love these kinds of someone fall almost accidentally falls into a, a con job, and I just I love that kind of narrative. Uh, and I I agree. I I like Melissa McCarthy in general. I would love I am very excited to see her do more like less broad comedy and more you know serious work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes out October 16th. Um, we're going to move on to, uh, speaking of nostalgia, um, the trailer for 8th Grade came out. This is uh, the independent movie that has been uh, slowly getting a lot of attention. Um, I think Sundance saw it and they really enjoyed it. It's about a teenager who's trying to deal with uh, the last week of her 8th grade year before starting high school. It's written and directed by Bo Burnham. I am a sucker for, um, you know, middle school, high school awkward stories, um, especially ones that aren't trying to be like John Hughes. And I thought this looked really authentic and cute and embarrassing, and I'm for it. Yeah, I'm there too. I, yeah, I missed it at Sundance, but I heard a lot of great word of mouth about it, so I'm looking. I'm interested to see it. And that comes out uh, July. That doesn't have a date, so just be on the lookout for it. Um, I think it's going to also play at a couple other festivals. I know San Francisco International Film Festival is going to get it. A couple other places as well. So, the trailer for a movie that I was up until about two days ago really excited for um, came out. Uh, the trailer for Life Itself, the new movie uh, from Dan Fogelman, who made a little show called This Is Us that apparently Kim and Karen really love. I have never watched an episode of it, and I'm pretty sure there's good reason for that. So this is a tra- uh, the movie is a, a romance told in three stories with three different people, or three different couples. Um, one, of, one of them is played by Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde. Antonio Banderas is in another story. The, the te- it's a teaser, so it's I think less than a minute. And I'm gonna throw all this out. This is stuff I knew before I knew what I know. That sounds confusing, but go with me here on this. <laughs> Any time a trailer is gonna use Band of Horses, The Funeral, I was like, oh no, we're going for something really, really indie and twee. Which I was okay with because it's Oscar Isaac and he's adorable and I'm okay with that. And then somebody sent me the script, and they were like, what do you want to read it? And I was like, ah, Annihilation was a one-off. That can't ever color my perspective again. I need to stop doing that, because (laughs) I read the script for this, and then I went back and I watched the trailer. And I was like, oh no, this is what I read. This is the movie. I'm not going to spoil things for you, but I'll temper your expectations accordingly, okay? I, I don't watch This Is Us. If you are a fan of that show you guys will be as happy as a pig and shit because it is, I'm guessing, exactly the same. For people who don't watch the show, you're going to be in for two hours of hell. Sweet, sweet hell. (laughs) And I love Oscar Isaac, but why does he insist on hurting me? Does he know that Justin Theroux does it so he's allowed to do it too? That's the only thing I can get. This movie comes out in September, in my birthday month as like a fuck you to me um it comes out september 21st maybe maybe the script i read maybe it'll all sound better on the pa- uh, on the screen the the pain is there to keep you interested oh god uh, did you guys see the trailer <laughs> does anybody else have other thoughts other than me just shitting on this already 
like like I've said before, I'm usually in it for a good weepy. So I'll you know oh, he, you will I'm weep. And he looked he he looked so adorable. I know was, that uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> He thinks that if he makes, like, beautiful man tears and he looks adorable in a good coat, that, like, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, but... <laughs> I am an unabashed crier at movies, so, yeah. <laughs> Kim and Karen are gonna be crying. Uh, I'm gonna be sitting there just, like, fuming, but I'm gonna be like, he's pretty, I want one. Um, and Lauren, I don't really know what Lauren's gonna do. Uh, La- Lauren doesn't care that much uh quite honestly i saw i haven't seen this is us so you know this it's just one of those shows that i've missed and people cry about it online so much that i'm like i don't really need to do this. exactly right like i don't need that <laughs> uh the, this one the trailer i was like this this looks kind of sort of middle of the road sentimental drama yep. So yep. fine, it, fine if that's your like thing. It looks like a September. It, yeah. it definitely yeah. looks like a September movie. Oh my yeah. god, yes it does. If that's <sighs> your thing, fine, more power to you, you know, have have a good time. But I, I just, I don't care. That's that's my basic reaction to all this. I talk a big game, but I'm going to tell you all right now, we're in March. I'll see that movie twice. Of course you will. Probably. Yeah, I will. Just <laughs> knowing you'll be miserable the entire time. Actually, I have another friend that I forgot about so three times. Um, and I'm going to be pissed every single time I see it. Um, but I'm not, you can't say that I didn't give them my money. Um, the last trailer we have is a movie that I am excited to see for. Uh, because it looks fucking crazy as shit and I'm excited for it. It's Sorry to Bother You. Uh, this is the movie uh, by Boots Riley um, that is also got a lot of of attention when it played at Sundance. Um, It tells the story of a telemarketer played by Lakeith Stanfield who learns the road to success is paved by sounding like you're white. Um, (laughs) It's supposedly an insane satire about race relations. It's got Tessa Thompson wearing amazing earrings. It's got Army Hammer presumably walking a sarong and riding boots while doing blow in one scene. That's all anybody will tell me. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for this. I like really sharp, just like bleak satire. Um, and I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, but it's also going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I... And that's what, that's what I heard at Sundance was the, the primary thread was how uncomfortable it made huge chunks of the audience. Um, word of mouth was absolutely huge. I tried to get in, and I believe the screening had the list that I had to be on sold out in seconds. You let me so, down, Kim. You let me down. Yeah. Those fingers just weren't fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about this, too. It, it looks That great. comes out, uh, I think, uh, July 18th. The question is, which of the trailers that we talked about today will Karen put at the end of this episode? I have a feeling. I have a feeling, but I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to let her decide what I think she's going to do. Uh, so moving on to... Uh, uh, you guys know. <laughs> moving on to um, questions. We're going to combine a question with a review. Try to kill two birds. Um, we all saw Wrinkle in Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to do a bit of a spoiler. So if you don't want to know spoilers about Wrinkle in Time, fast forward about uh, 10-15 minutes. Um, we all... I, 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 we will say non-spoilers. Um, we all liked it a lot. I think... That's yeah. the consensus? Yes. Yes. Definitely. Very much um, so. And you should go see it. That's about the extent of spoilers. So we're going to get into spoilers and stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I love this movie a lot. 
Um, I know that it got a lot of flack from critics who said that it was... I, I understand the problems with it. The editing's a little wonky. The dialogue takes some getting used to because it does sound overly formal um, in certain scenes. But I love the message. I, I don't care what you say about whether message negates quality or not, you know, whether that factors in. I love the message. I love how it played with our expectations of, of gender in film. When Meg tells Calvin, do you trust me? I was like, I was so happy to see a girl mm -hmm. ask that because yep. you don't see that. You see men ask that. Um, I, I love the relationship that she has with her little brother and that really what the movie boils down to is the relationship between siblings not father-daughter like you would necessarily expect mm -hmm. if anything we gotta talk about that father-daughter relationship because yeah um and i loved the the concept of identity and how the movie praises appreciating yourself but not in a way that seems preachy like just be yourself um there's a, a moment where oprah's character tells meg you, you know, to think of all the things that had to perfectly align from the beginning of, of the universe to make you. And I thought that was really, really inspiring because as a disabled girl growing up who, you know, more than once shook her fist at the sky and said, like, why me? Um, it, it is kind of remarkable to think about, like, all the things that had to perfectly align in order for you to exist. And you might not buy into that, but I think that's a, still a different way of taking a message and, and contextualizing it. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it a lot. It's beautiful, too. Um, so, Lauren, what did you think of it? I, I loved it. I think I, I, I've said a couple of times now that I think I cried probably about four or five times. Oh, I was emotionally wrecked. There, Speaking of, yeah, things to cry over, I cried over was, this. There were just some scenes, like you say, some lines that just, I they, they tapped in perfectly to the emotions of being young and being an adolescent and being uncomfortable with yourself and i think that every single person i've ever known and probably will ever know had that experience as an adolescent of like i'm not happy with my hair my face my this my that you know there's something that you're unhappy with that you feel everyone can see and everyone is judging you about um so much of the message of this film which is it, which is about inclusion and about accepting of your accepting other people and accepting of yourself and seeing that other people are experiencing much of the same problems that you are in their own way. Uh, one of my favorite scenes was the 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 scene where um, Meg is told to see through I think it's Mrs. Witch's eyes, Oprah's eyes, <laughs> uh, and she sees her bully who is uh, also anorexic, who sees her friend who is suffering because his father is constantly angry at him, is constantly berating him. All of this stuff where she, where she actually sees the experiences of other people and begins to bring herself out of her own sort of very egotistical experience of, you know, I, I, I'm not good enough and I'm the only one who's not good enough, who feels this way. Um, it's it's a gorgeous film i said before it's a very feminine film it's very much about emotional understanding and emotional um uh emotional thrust emotional uh narrative versus being you know what i i i, I said earlier um we don't have the same we don't have the right words to talk about these kinds of films because so much of what we talk about when we talk about film criticism is about narrative and plot and story and 
um, very sort of rigid story construction, stuff like that. And this film is much more fluid. It's much more about the way that you feel watching it and the way that the characters feel and the, the way that they experience what they're going through. There isn't a, a major through line that goes throughout this film that you have to follow along with perfectly. And I, I, I adored it. Like I left that movie theater. And I do have to say, I was in a movie theater packed full of both adults and children. We had people applauding when Oprah came on the screen for the first time. There were people laughing. I could hear people crying. I, at one point, some little boy just shouted, no, don't do that. <laughs> and it was adorable. It was, uh, it was a really wonderful film to, to get to experience. And I, I still like have difficulty putting into words exactly how I felt during this movie. Kim, what do you think? I loved it. Uh, it's I, and thinking back and writing my review, I had trouble even pinpointing all the you know issues that everybody was having with it. Just weren't issues to me at all. I mean, I was as I just said, I'm a shameless crier in movies and get very you know very emotional movie watcher, and I was pretty much a mess from I'd say the really throughout the third act. Are we going into spoilers? At this yes, point? yes. Feel free. Yeah. Once, once she reunites with uh, Chris Pine's character, I was just blubbering from. <laughs> yeah, I. We're gonna talk about the Chris Pine character in a second. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I think there's a point where the movie needs to give him some shit. Um, but I, I think we all agree Storm Reed was really good as as Meg. Um, I loved, loved, loved the little boy who played Charles Wallace. I thought he was... He was yeah. so... He was amazing. He was I loved so amazing, so adorable. If they ever need to remake Pet Cemetery, I'm pretty sure we have our killer child. Um, <laughs> I did... I want a movie with him and the little... Uh, what's his name from It? They need to be in a movie Yeah, <laughs> him and Eddie could easily, yeah, do something. I did feel that his transformation to pure evil was a bit abrupt, it was just like one minute he was a cute little boy and the next he was like the apotheosis of evil um i did like the david oyelowo got a little moment he's the voice of the the it yes um which is kind of like the nothing in this movie if this was the never-ending story um and i think really that's what i i saw a lot of shades of with this movie was the never-ending yeah. story um it's not it's not as cynical i think and nihilistic as the never-ending story is but it's it's very similar in how it presents this world of wonder um and and the relationships there um so before we get to the whole question that i think we we want to talk about i yeah i do want to throw out chris pine there comes a point in this movie where chris pine's character and the whole the whole movie throughout the the film you find out that chris pine's character is a, a kind of a workaholic who had disappeared for four years, um, right after they had adopted Charles Wallace, um, and Meg is his biological daughter, Charles Wallace is his adopted son, um, and there's a point in the movie, I, I like how the film broaches the concept of, like, your, your faults, the things you tell yourself that are true every day, um, and Charles Wallace's whole thing when he does meet Chris Pine's character is that, you know, he's not his, his dad, I'm not your son, um, that this whole, you know, distance between adopted, um, families. And that culminates with Chris Pine's character saying, I can get us out of here, but Charles Wallace is evil, so we're gonna leave him behind. 
and Meg is the one who says no she's not gonna do that and ends up saving the day at the end mm-hmm. um my issue was was that the movie is all about faults and I think I, I wanted to know if you guys thought it was intentional or not that the white guy is the both the biggest asshole and the one who can't admit that he's wrong he never admits that yeah I am a workaholic yeah I did give up my family because I wanted to leave this lasting legacy yeah I was gonna abandon my child because I thought that there was no way to save him like I wanted that because when him and Meg reunite on earth like I was as as a a a girl with you know her own acrimonious relationship with the dad I'd have been like dude you're gonna have to buy some good ass Christmas presents for that kid for the next like eight years because you were gonna fucking leave him behind um, I wanted the film to call him out more. Well, I think that it does to to a certain degree at one point, and he does acknowledge what he did. He he says to her at the end, I, I wanted to shake the hand of the universe, but I should have been holding yours. Um, mm-hmm. So there there is, he obviously, now I, I agree, he doesn't really acknowledge the fact that he was basically like, oh, we'll just leave this little boy in. Right, he like, never really apologizes to Charles Wallace Yeah, and I, so I agree with you, I agree with you on, on that level that that's, that maybe that's a, an oversight of the film. I do think that there is like, he, he has been suffering for four years because he's yeah. vanished and he's been stuck. Entire, he can't leave. He hasn't been able to leave. And he's basically sitting there dying um, and has been for four years. And he's completely abandoned his family. And now he's come face to face with the two children, one of whom he's never really known. And the other of whom was very small when he left, um, who are basically like, you know, I've crossed space and time to come and find you and to save you. And I, I think that there, I think that there is, you know, the film maybe could have been more accusatory about him. But I also think that there is that sense of, like, his shame is that he, his daughter, his children were braver than him. And Mm -hmm. he had to, he needed them. The very people that he abandoned, deliberately or not, are the ones that that came and found him that moved across worlds in order to, to rescue him. And, and then even then he was like, well, I'm going to, you know, she's even stronger than he is just like, well, I can get us out of here, but I can't get him out of here. And she's like, no, it's either you get, I'm not leaving without him because he's my brother and I love him. Uh, so it becomes, it continues to be about her story. It could have very easily shifted focus onto white dad, but it didn't. It right. was, it remained about her. I do love how both this and Black Panther have white guys who were ineffective like calvin is just the pretty boy he he looks like baby ewan mcgregor um calvin is literally the damsel in distress he is he is is, they did such a concrete gender swap there (laughs) yeah i thought that was so great that he's just like he's the one who just tells her she's awesome and she's so smart and he's totally moon-eyed the entire time he's just like she's amazing oh my she's amazing oh god she's a she's gorgeous she's she's adorable she's the best thing ever like she's like wow dude wow i was i was watching that going ladies find a guy who looks and talks to you and just like exactly (laughs) yeah i thought that was great and i did love um i loved mindy kaling's um quotes i wish that had been stuck to towards the end um and i do think she's quoting lin-manuel miranda in one of those um in one of those things so i thought that was really 
really cool. Um, so because you have to. You have to. You have to. Quote Lin-Manuel Miranda, everybody should do that. Um, so I, I enjoyed uh, it. Yeah, t- I didn't tomorrow have... there'll be more of us. That's the, that's the line. Yeah. Um, so, but it goes back to a, a discussion that was had on Twitter um, with some male critics who, I'm not going to give them any extra publicity, so I'm not going to name them, um, but they were white men who said that um, people were Always only are. liking Wrinkle in Time because of the message, quote-unquote. Um, message does not negate quality. And I think one of the critics even said that when he sits down to watch a movie, he doesn't think of how it accurately, whether it accurately portrays all races and minorities, he just wants to, whether the story's good. That's what's important. And I felt the need to retweet, and it got a lot of traction, apparently. I was like, yeah. Because you have never had to mitigate and compartmentalize your mm-hmm. viewing for years, as as women and minorities have. I, I am a disabled person. Do you know how many times I have to compartmentalize the disabled part of me in order to get through some of the trite shit that Hollywood puts out because they can't bother to hire a disabled screenwriter? You know, we've had to we've had to deal with with how we watch movies for centuries and now we're getting movies that are actually telling stories aimed for and about different audiences and it's white men that are feeling like that somehow is taking something away from them because it is in in their in their Mm -hmm. view it is because suddenly they are no longer the focus of the narrative and their their experience is not the the one that is being represented on screen when we when we talk about a wrinkle in time we're watching the experience of a young adolescent girl. We're watching the experience of a young adolescent black girl. Um, and it's all being viewed through her perspective. It's not about them anymore. And it really bothers some of them. And so they begin to, to pull out these kinds of things. Well, well, it's too focused on the message. Well, it has an agenda. It's like, well, every film at some level has a political message. And some of it is just about who you're, who is telling the story, who is the main character. And if the main character is a white guy, then it's being focalized through the, the ideas and the conceptions and the, the values of that man. So this is a film that is being focalized through the values and conceptions and experiences of a little black girl. And that's going to mean you, mu- you might not feel like this is about you because it isn't. It's not about you. Get over yourself. Well, and I was I was telling somebody, I was like, you know, I'm not a, a woman of color at all, but I still understood this, the universal themes that A Wrinkle in Time is saying regarding femininity and regarding growing up. I'm not black, but I love Black Panther because it's a, a great movie that has so many good themes and acting. I mean, I'm, I was sitting there thinking... You can't re- you can't watch a movie because it doesn't show a white man. Like I, when when that critic was like, "Story matters." Well, yeah, that's easy to say when every story has been created and made and is aimed at you since films started. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's time that you compartmentalize. I've had male critics tell me, "Well, Kristen, if I argued about how I didn't like a movie like you do, I would never like anything." Yeah, that's kind of the point. You should be looking at movies that analytically as a job. I mean, part of our job as critics is to analyze films from whether it's, you know, use of sound or editing or acting or message. I mean, I think these are the same critics that are saying Red Sparrow's empowering. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and and you know, I, I do have to say this particular critic who who made these statements, and and they're very common statements. You know, it's not just him. But one of the things that he said was that he went to Tish, and when he went to Tish, well, he learned about Good how important him. story was. I got. I'm gonna say something. I went to Tish, and when I went to Tish, I actually paid attention in class. And I learned things about the way that films are constructed and the way that focalization works and the way that perspective works. And the fact that almost every film you are going to talk about has a perspective. It is taking a particular point of view. And sometimes it's taking multiple points of view. And that is part of the job of the film critic and the film analyst is to understand that and to see how the film treats that per that point of view so if the point of view is constantly the point of view of the the white dude then that that twists the meaning of the film you know and and one of the things pe people always talk about reading films against the grain if we read a film you know from a different perspective from the dominant perspective how does it change it and that's what feminist critique is about that's what queer critique is about that's what uh uh, racial critique is about that's that's part of what we're taught to do so i i don't think he, he must not have been a very good student <laughs> uh, that is great um yeah i mean i think that at this point like we all enjoy movies that as women like we enjoy movies that we can look at the message and the story in unison Exactly. We we understand the value of both and whether one overrides the other. Most male critics would say that one cannot do that, um, and I think that's that's wrong. Um, in short, go see Wrinkle in Time because well, it's amazing. And I I did want to say something about this this whole thing of um, uh, that that it seems that women and and minor and just minorities, uh, people of color, uh, uh, queer people, etc have to, as you're saying, they have to constantly compartmentalize in order to watch anything. And um, because white men have not had to do that, there does seem to be this element that we are more empathetic. We're more willing to look at things from the perspective of other people. So it's mm -hmm. easier for us to look at Black Panther, even though we're not black people, we're not black men, we're not black women. But we can still look at it and empathize and sympathize and understand the quality of it. More so than white because dudes. Because they've never had to. Yeah, exactly. It's always been presented for them to them. Exactly. So it's not, oh, this film has an agenda and therefore I don't agree with it. It's just like, there is a failing in your ability to perceive cinema. And it's your failing. It's not the failing of the cinema. Exactly. For all the male critics I have heard say this film has an agenda because it has Oprah in it, think through what you're saying. <laughs> Once again, going back to our theme for this episode, men, think before think it before you speak it. Okay? That's going to be on one of our t-shirts one day. Um, so, uh, Kim, you wanted to talk really briefly uh, before we close things out. Uh, you went and saw Tomb Raider yeah. and Love, Simon, which are the other two movies out this week. Um, how did you feel about Alicia Vikander's breasts? <laughs> that's all it's about that's all men, it's about yeah men think it through before <laughs> you fucking say it so i watched review tomb raider tuesday this week screen that through and uh, if you're going through to temper temper your expectations i mean this is i will this is probably the best video game movie i have seen in a couple of years but the issue there is it's still a video game movie uh but 
Alicia Vikander is perfect. This is, I mean, and this is coming from somebody who has seen both of the Jolie Tomb Raider movies. This is exactly the Laura Croft that we need at this time in history at this point. She is strong, relatable, you know, every, this, it was pitch perfect for me. To, and to come out of that and see reviews starting to pop up in a couple of cases from large-ish outlets making her breasts the top the primary topic of conversation it's disgusting yeah i'm i might i might go see it tomorrow i don't really know i mean i i've seen I mean, the first this, one that one's very the female script is weak too which i enjoy yeah the script is weak as hell but it i mean it resists what impressed me was that it was a male director and they resist the urge at all to get male gazy it's actually it's very pass, you know, very, it resists the urge to sexualize, you know, any, anything like that. And to me, that was just such a very, you know, that would be a character if I were, you know, 10 years old or something when I was watching the last one, that was, you know, what I would like if I had any children that weren't four-legged, what I would like them to see. She's very, you know, inspirational. She gets knocked down, but she gets up. And the fact that this is once again being turned into fanboy, you know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know you fanboys were masturbating about Laura Croft's breasts for the better part of the last 20 years. Just sit down, shut up, you don't get an opinion. <laughs> yes. Yay, I support this. And then you also saw Love, Simon. I did, and oh, that just, oh, it's, it's so sweet. Um it made me feel really old because Josh Dumel is playing the high school dad. I didn't realize I'd liked Josh Dumel for so long that he is now aged up to the point to be a high school dad. <laughs> I remember, you know, him from Las Vegas. But once again, I mean, we're talking about message. This is like Wrinkle in Time, the first thing I thought when I came out of this. This would be a movie that I wish I could have had when I was going to middle school and high school. There is just such... A positivity and such just an acceptance now of kids at that age being who they are and you know finding their true voice that I know I struggled to hell with when I was watching movies with Angelina Jolie as the female lead and it once again it's I had absolutely no qualms with it I thought it was sweet I thought it was well made um I was sitting there one the critic next to me was just sobbing through the second half you know there were sobs echoing throughout the room which was good considering I heard it screened in our region 16 times so but it was the audience got very into it it was just it's a good movie good I'm, I'm excited that's another one yeah. I might go see tomorrow um I might just flip a coin and see what it lands with. So, um, do we have anything on tap screening-wise this week? Um, I know that, uh, I know I got invited to go see Unsane, but I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of negativity about that one. Um, and I might, I'm hoping to see Isle of Dogs this week. Um, Kim, uh, Kim, what do you have on tap? I'm, my quiet week for me, I've got Pacific Rim, I think, on Tuesday. Morin, anything fun? Uh, well, Tribeca pre-screenings for the press start this weekend. Uh, not this weekend, I mean the coming weekend. 
Wow, already. Yeah, already. It's tri Tribeca's Tribeca's always very exciting because because they they do pre-screenings like a month before the festival actually starts, uh, which can be great because you get to see a lot of very interesting films, many of which you, you just wouldn't get a chance to see during the festival. They screen a lot of things. Um, but can also be quite exhausting because suddenly I'm like, oh, I get to go out at like, you know, seven o'clock at night and go to Tribeca to, to watch some of these, to watch some random documentaries. So it'll be sort of interesting. Um, I'm, I am definitely looking forward to it. I've always seen, I've always seen something interesting and unique and sometimes stuff that just winds up surfacing on Netflix, but it's still very much worth it. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and safe to assume we'll be hearing about some Tribeca picks in the next couple of weeks on the show? Yes, yes, definitely. Just as soon as the embargoes lift off of just anything that I see, you will hear about it. Perfect. Well, that's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. You can listen to Citizen Dame on citizendame.podbean.com or iTunes. Um, if you listen via iTunes, uh, help the podcast out with a rating. Uh, that would be fantastic. Um, you can also visit our official website, which is citizendamepod.com, where we do uh, our weekly uh, Citizen Dame 5. I think this week we are sharing our top five dogs in film in honor of Isle of Dogs. Um, we also have, uh, if you were uh, a person who did not subscribe to our Patreon, which I'll get to in a second, you can now read my um, scathing review of Mute. Um, you can also uh, be sure to visit um, on Wednesday, by the time this, it'll probably be up uh, by the time this episode goes live, our next monthly entry in the What I Did for Love series is with Lauren this month as she talks about Jeff Goldblum and uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. So it's a very different review from the one I, I wrote last month. Um, <laughs> so I, was, I was like, yay, something happy. Um, so... <laughs> Yay, there, there's, a, there's that. A lot of things go on on our website. Um, you can also uh, visit us on our, uh, our individual Twitters. Uh, this podcast is on Twitter at CitizenDamePod. I am on Twitter at Journeys underscore Film. Karen is at Karen M. Peterson. And Kim, what are, where are you on Twitter? At KPierce624. And Lauren? At LH Business. Uh, and if you want to help the podcast out and you like hearing us and you want to support female produced content, you can head over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. We have perks starting at a dollar, uh, whether it's something like a Twitter shout out um, to all the way up to guesting on the show or helping us pick movies to review. Um, we would love to do a riff track style um dvd commentary of a movie at some point if we can get uh, enough support for that and we are a dollar away from getting me to finally write that article listing my favorite movie coats so if you've ever wanted to see the movie coats i consider to be valuable um throw a dollar our way um that would really be awesome so uh we'll be back next week as always this is Kristen lopez here with lauren humphreys brooks hi and kimberly pierce uh karen peterson hi <laughs> and I, I was thinking you guys would say bye, but we're gonna go with the opposite. So I, I just it just came out. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. I, this is our show. We can say whatever the hell we want. Um, and Karen or Karen is uh, Karen Peterson is here in spirit. Um, so we'll talk to you all next week. Cue the trailer that I know Karen is gonna play to piss me off. <laughs> if she picks something else, I'm gonna really laugh. <laughs> She she's gonna do that just just to piss you off, honestly. She's she's gonna yeah. put like the eighth grade trailer on there just to 
just to make it like, I'm not that predictable, Kristen. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. You ever going to ask me out, Will? I'm just waiting for the right moment. Because when I ask you out, there's not going to be any turning back for me. Call me Mrs. What's It. Mrs. Who? No, Mrs. What's It. Mrs. Who is, oh, she's like a million years older and way more knowledgeable. What can I do for you, Mrs. What's It? I called her Ceiling Sheets. Guys, she's harmless. You're six. Come on. What do you know about harmless? Have I ever been wrong? Well, one of these days you might be Charles Wallace. Oh, I highly doubt that. He's one of the greatest minds in recent history. He's prodigious. But of course, we can't take any credit for our talents. It's how we use them that counts.